Hey everybody, you're listening to Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams, the podcast where we talk about the movies we love and the monsters we all face. I'm your host, David Anderson, and today, just in time for Christmas, I'm bringing you three tales of terror with a little help from Carrie. Well, hello. I'm back from the dead. Eh, kind of, sort of. I'm still in the process of hauling my withered corpse out of the grave, but I'm still kicking, I guess. I'm recording this shortly after Thanksgiving, and at my family gathering, a relative I barely know took me aside to tell me that I looked like I should be cast as a weathered sea captain in a commercial for fish sticks. Now... <laughs> I'm trying to tell myself it's because I was wearing a sweater and I'm a little bearded and mustachioed these days and not because I have a face like an old moccasin. Um, Was that supposed to be a compliment? I don't know. If so, it's about on par with the quality of compliments I typically receive. Like, um, ooh, you have the body of an athlete, a professional bowler, or um, you look like a movie star. Do you know who Chris Elliott is? Anyway, like any good boogeyman, this show and me will pop out from behind a dumpster or grab your foot from under the bed when you least expect it. It's a regular Christmas miracle. And you know, sometimes miracles need a little push to get going. This particular push came in the form of someone who listens to the show who reached out to me on Instagram. Now, the funny thing is, hang on, Craig, Craig, are you out there? I've told you this story like twice already, which is embarrassing. So you should fast forward or go get a snack so you don't have to hear it again. Okay. Now, I don't remember how exactly, but sometime earlier this year, I went down some kind of Facebook rabbit slash K-hole and stumbled upon music from a singer-songwriter named Craig Maddox. Uh, In particular, several beautiful covers, including Dreams by Fleetwood Mac and Hounds of Love by Kate Bush. Aside from the song choices, they were all piano-based and right in my sweet spot of kind of rainy day melancholy, everything I love and respond to. Coincidentally, it happened to be cold and rainy at the time, which is kind of rare in LA, and it was just doing it for me. Those songs and that voice kept me company on my way to work for a few days, and I just, I don't know. Anyway, I never said anything to him, but I later found out he listens to this show. And a while ago, he sent me a really sweet message kind of indicating that he missed it and wouldn't mind a new episode. Now, I have to say I so appreciated that and it meant so much to me, really. But instead of just being gracious and saying that, I somehow felt the need to say, sure, I'll trade you a new episode for a cover of A Night Like This by The Cure. I didn't I didn't even know if he'd see it, let alone do it. And that was pretty tacky town of me, right? Believe it or not, I don't give presents to get presents, but... Some time passed, and then, there in my inbox, like Santa himself had left something in my stocking, was this incredible cover of A Night Like This that blew me away. It also made me feel like a total dick for having the audacity to ask for it. But anyway, I want to say a really heartfelt thank you to Craig Maddox for that, but also for prodding me to get back to this show which is something I really want to do. I owe you more than this for sure, but consider this episode your Christmas gift from me to you. Merry Christmas, Craig. Don't worry, I taped the receipt to the bottom so you can take it back if you want. And everyone should check him out. Craig.maddox.music on Instagram and Facebook. Craig underscore Maddox on Twitter and SoundCloud. Or look for Craig Maddox, M-A-D-D-O-X on YouTube. 
So the other day, I was walking down the street after work, and for some reason, I just felt Carrie White with me. That happens, right? That's normal. Now, maybe it was because I was carrying my takeout order for one, and apparently what I consider to be a reasonable order for one person always ends up with three or four sets of utensils being passive-aggressively included in the bag. So what? Not only am I heading home for a wild Friday night of eating my chicken tikka masingle on my couch... I've also been portion control shamed. God, I couldn't help it. I was weak and loose the raven upon the world. And the first sin was the dinner course. Say it. First sin was the dinner course. I'm kidding. I mean, well, that actually did happen. But it takes way more than that to shame me. I was, however, giving a lot of thought to Carrie White, a top-tier representation of otherness, right? One of our favorite outsiders. Carrie is certainly crippled by shame and insecurity, Sounds familiar. Religious guilt, sexual guilt, a rich tapestry. She just wants to feel normal, to fit in and be accepted as we all do. So Carrie was stalking me and I wasn't entirely sure why. But like a lot of you might identify with when I'm dealing with or processing something, I'm drawn back to certain movies and I watch them repeatedly for a period of time while I work out whatever it is. And sometimes it takes me a shockingly long time for me to figure out what I'm getting out of the experience when when it finally happens seems so obvious. So I've been watching Carrie a lot. And of course, it's so much the angst of uh, awkwardness and rejection and everything about how hard it can be to be a kid, right? Sometimes those feelings are still a lot more present and near the surface than we'd ever care to admit. The very first scene is a PE class with all the girls playing volleyball. And from off screen, you can hear voices shouting, hit it to Carrie. She'll blow it. Don't blow it, Carrie. Hit it. (laughs) I can almost hear, hit it to David. He'll blow it. And life responding, don't blow it, David. Hit it. Now, last year on our holiday episode, we talked about the kind of lost tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas. I still find that idea very romantic, of course, but I only had one really good ghost story and I already told it to you. So what if we broaden our definition from ghost to just scary? There's no better time than Christmas to tell our scary stories around the fire. So in honor of the season and in honor of Carrie, I'm going to present to you three tales of terror from my past as an awkward teenager and maybe even one from my present as an awkward... (laughs) Don't you worry about how old I am. Baby, it's cold outside. Actually, it's cold in here too. Just me in a blanket on my couch. That's how I record. Super professional. And I'm dreaming of a Carrie White Christmas. Chapter 1. Now, this might be hard to curate. Where should I start? I certainly have my fair share of moments comparable to Carrie White's volleyball trauma. My parents forced me to try every sport possible, just hoping one would click. We'll make a man out of him yet. And I hated every second 
of every game and practice I was forced to waddle my uncoordinated doughy body through. I had a t-ball coach who called my mom to a meeting to ask her if I was mentally challenged. No, I just don't give a shit about t-ball, and I'm in the outfield praying the ball won't come my way, staring directly into the sun and drafting fan letters to Heather Langenkamp in my head. I'm fine. I'm bored out of my mind, but I'm fine. I'm not sure why my mom felt the need to share that with me, other than to kind of shame me by saying, people think you're weird, so you know, just stop it. That's pretty good, but let's keep it a little more lighthearted. I'm going to go another way. I call this one Saved by the Goo. Now, please imagine that in my best Crypt Keeper voice, which I can't do. Wait, can I? Saved by the Goo. No. No, I cannot. When I wake up in the morning and the lawn gets out of warning, I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I grab my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the door. Yeah. It was 1990, and the world was in the throes of Saved by the Bell fever. Or at least every kid from like 9 to 14 was. I certainly watched it every Saturday, and in 6th grade, our drama teacher took us on a field trip to a taping of an episode. And if you know the show, it was the one where the Glee Club goes to the spring sing, and none of them can actually sing except Screech's girlfriend, Violet, played by a pre-90210 Tory Spelling. That taping was like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan or something. Those horny kids would lose their minds every time Mark Paul Gossler or Mario Lopez walked on set. And when they'd flub a line, they'd laugh and coo for a shockingly long amount of time that was totally disproportionate to what had actually just happened. That same sixth grade drama teacher, God, Mrs. Howard was awesome, also brought in a talent scout who specialized in child actors and had even discovered and cast Mark Paul Gossler. Now, maybe I was just still reeling from uh, my t-ball career stalling out, but 11-year-old me was convinced that this casting agent was going to spot me like a chubby diamond in the rough and pluck me from obscurity. Not leading man material, maybe, but you know, a respected character actor. No, that did not happen. Despite successfully braving an on-the-spot audition in the form of an improvised Campbell's Soup commercial. Adequate, the reviews read. Anyway. For a brief shining moment, the cast of Saved by the Bell was it. They were the cool kids. Who didn't want to start their own business selling buddy bands or cultivate a caffeine pill addiction? So glamorous. One balmy, sun-drenched LA afternoon, I walked into Jerry's famous deli in Studio City to have lunch with my parents. We'd only been seated a few minutes, giving me enough time to start pounding through my first relish tray, when in walked the entire cast saved by the bell yes all of them they were probably coming from a mall appearance or a table read or something that's a good star sighting especially for that time right all the stars and i was star struck now without even realizing it i must have been staring at them across the restaurant and the next moment really did seem to play out in slow motion i saw elizabeth berkeley yes jesse spano herself make eye contact directly with me. And she noticed that I was staring. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! I'm so scared! Then in that moment, she called her entire table to attention 
and they all drew their heads in close and huddled. And they must have done a countdown or something because they all simultaneously sat up and kind of creepily turned their heads to stare directly at me for an excruciatingly long amount of time. I immediately turned into Lucy at the Brown Derby when she runs into William Holden. I was doing my best to pretend like I had not noticed and definitely wasn't crawling out of my skin. I laughed uproariously like my mom had just told the funniest story and I probably was like spreading mustard on my hand. It was the worst. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't even want my parents to know that I'd shamed myself in front of the cool kids so I didn't say a word. I just soaked up my tears with a slice of rye bread and pretended like it never happened. Those jerks. I guess I learned my lesson. It's really hard to be famous and pretty and you shouldn't stare. But you know what? You can also be kind and gracious. Around that same time, LA in the 90s was wild. I ran into the likes of Whoopi Goldberg and MC Hammer out and about. I got their autographs and they couldn't have been nicer. I was definitely not one of the popular kids, but I did stare at them a lot with my mouth open. Now I want you all to know that you did a really shitty thing yesterday, a really shitty thing. <laughs> I can see your dirty fellows. Everyone will. See your dirty pillows. Chapter Two The Pants Off Dance Off. As you may recall from chapter one, once upon a time, I had a bizarre fantasy that I was going to be an actor. Now that seemed, seems, totally at odds with who I am. I'm shy, I don't like attention, but I guess it's the old cliche thing of, you know, you can show up and get over that when you're pretending to be someone else, which is definitely true for me. As a kid, I got cast in a lot of school plays and usually in some kind of lead role. I somehow convinced myself that I was kind of good at this and that it might go places, but in hindsight, it was probably because I could kind of sort of sing, but mostly I could read. So I have to imagine at every audition, the drama teacher was like, meh, he can get the words out and he won't cause any problems, so today's your lucky day. At summer camp one year, I won Best Actor, and I was like, oh my god, I didn't even know I was nominated. I also don't remember actually acting in anything because it was a traditional summer camp, swimming and horseback riding and archery, but I must have really nailed it in some skit at the end of Summer Talent Show or something. Anyway, like any good actor, I decided to hone my craft. For several years, I went to a kind of prestigious and serious teenage drama workshop. The shows had really high production value, everyone took it super seriously, and I wanted to be cast in one of those shows so badly. Those kids were all doing like toothpaste commercials in their spare time and had agents, and I was just like, you guys, I want to be in a show. Whenever we had to do improvised scenes, those kids would always go to surprisingly dark places like, okay, I'm the mistress, and you're the guy I'm having an affair with, and then my husband walks in on us doing it, and we end up having a three-way. I do not know what those 12-year-old kids' lives looked like, but I'm guessing nothing like mine. 
they were not having it. They were not having me. The kids who certainly never wanted me as a scene partner and made sure that I knew it, but also the directors who never cast me in a single role. I did, however, make an excellent house manager and ticket taker. And in typical me fashion, I made friends with the older ladies who ran the office and won the equivalent of Miss Congeniality at an intensive acting workshop, which is almost as good as winning best actor at a camp that has absolutely nothing to do with acting. But I wasn't gonna let it get me down. I couldn't wait to get to high school because I knew the school I was going to had a super serious drama director and they put on mature, sophisticated shows like Cabaret. And I figured I'd have a better chance of getting cast as a big fish in a little pond, which was totally true. My freshman year of high school, I landed a pretty major role in a chorus line. Five, six, seven, eight. Thank God not the gay part, because, you know, I wouldn't want to be typecast or have anyone know that I was actually gay. No, I was Mark, who sings a solo about thinking he has gonorrhea. And because I wasn't all lithe and sculpted like every other guy in the cast, I was the only one whose costume was a sweatsuit instead of, you know, less forgiving jazz pants. Thank you. Now, because our gold LeMay tuxedos for the big finale had to be custom ordered, our measurements were taken very early on in the process, a process that involves strenuous dance rehearsals and a lot more physical activity than I was accustomed to at the time. So it's the big night, our first real performance in wardrobe, and ooh, that show-stopping finale with the kick line. And there I was in my gold tuxedo that, after months of rehearsal, was maybe fitting a bit more loosely than it was supposed to. And ugh, oh, how we danced and I kicked. I kicked my way right out of my pants. Yep, in front of everybody, but I kept kicking. I'm nothing if not professional. And during notes that night, I was thanked for keeping the show going, even with my pants around my ankles. Sometimes that's what you have to do in life, right? You're caught with your pants down, but you gotta power through. But that was certainly the end of my acting career. I peaked and pants dropped at 15, but where does one go from there anyway? Chapter 3 Do you have a date to the prom? Love. It's a tricky business, isn't it? Like any of you who have spent the majority of your lives single, I have a surplus of tragic and tragically hilarious stories about bad dates, failed relationships, 
not even worthy of being called a date, failed attempts at human interaction. All of it. I think I'm going to save the good ones for a Valentine's Day episode. Remind me to tell you about the guy who launched into an extended metaphor about cars, telling me I was like a C-class Mercedes with the potential to be an S-class. I don't know a lot about cars, but I'm pretty sure that's not good. Charmer. But the more time passes, and the more stories we collect, the easier it becomes to fall into the trap of over-identifying with them, believing them, and making them true. And I think that's why Carrie White showed up. She had something to say. And if you're up to it, if you were to tap into your inner Carrie, buried deep, oh, she's there all right, maybe under the rubble of the childhood home she, you, brought down upon yourself in a telekinetic rage, what would she have to say? Clearly, my Carrie has been triggered. There's certainly a narrative thread in me that runs pretty deep around the idea of never being the one who has ever really seen or chosen. And yeah, I've been looking at it through the zany, exaggerated, goofy funhouse mirror of the Saved by the Bell story, my pants falling off during a high school musical maybe, but you know, there's certainly more to it than that. I never went to my prom, or a single high school dance for that matter, and I guess there's still a part of me that wants to be asked to whatever the prom represents. Life, I guess, right? Of course, at this point, I see a lot of adorable couples posting pictures of themselves in their matching tuxedos, except they're at their weddings, not a high school dance. And depending on the day, even if you're long past 17 and all the accompanying insecurities and bouts of self-indulgent, soulful yearning, well, not so fast. So here's the thing, let's cut to the chase. Let's be honest. This is all coming up because I got carried recently. Has anyone coined that term? Damn, girl, you got carried. Timeless. That's how it felt to me, anyway. When it comes to relationships, or lack thereof, I have this bizarre, embarrassing, ridiculous pattern that I seem to keep finding myself in, and I'm calling it getting carried. Am I doing something to make it happen? Maybe. But after a few years off, it decided to rear its ugly, blood-stained, tiara-wearing head. If I were to be honest, for once in my goddamn life, I would have to admit, I generally still have a hard time believing, accepting, that anyone could be interested in or genuinely like me. And you're probably saying, well, there's your problem, David. What do you expect with a shitty attitude like that? And you'd be right. But let me tell you, my heart breaks for Carrie when she's talking to Miss Collins after Tommy Ross invites her to the prom and staring down at the ground, stringy hair hanging in her face, she says, they're just trying to trick me again. I got invited to the prom. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. So what are you down here moping around for? Tommy Ross asked me. That's even better. He's really cute, huh? I know who he goes around with. He's trying to trick me again, Maybe not. I mean, maybe you really meant it. Hey, Carrie, let's think about this now. I mean, it might be terrific. You might have a really good time. Carrie? Hey, Carrie, I want to talk to you. It's about this attitude you have about yourself. I mean, you're always walking around, you know, with your hair down, all moping around. She just can't accept it. But slowly but surely, she starts to think, well, maybe, maybe this guy actually might like me. 
I have repeatedly found myself in situations with guys whose motives are unclear. I know, haven't we all? Are we dating? No? Maybe we met as friends? Maybe we met online, but it's a little hazy what the interest might be? Okay. Nevertheless, before long, it kind of sort of seems like there might be something there. But it's probably just me, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure. It's just me. I mean, if someone had feelings for me, they'd probably make it pretty obvious. I'll spare you the details. There are always very slight variations. But from there, that's where things really get nuts and start ratcheting up. Until there's a ridiculously over-the-top gesture or series of sweeping gestures that by any normal measure of human behavior would seem to indicate a level of romantic interest and affection that would be ridiculous to continue to ignore. I hate to be coy here. But if I were to fill you in on the most recent example, you'd probably lose your mind and say, well, that sounds like an invitation to the prom for sure. And I'd say, yeah, at this point, this is just dumb. I have to table my story and my insecure garbage and acknowledge that this person seems to be genuinely interested. Maybe things have gone on for too long in this limbo state and we're both afraid to say something now. Maybe he's been burned and has a hard time really putting himself out there. Fine, I can work with that. At this point, there's no possible way this won't go well if I'm willing to pluck up the courage to have the conversation. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust. I'm going to be vulnerable and tell him how I feel. Oh, what's that? I could have sworn I saw someone in the rafters. Nah, probably just my nerves. Ugh, boy, this is going to feel great. I mean, it'll be hard, sure, but once I lay it out there, I know all that doubt will fall away and things will get Good. Okay, oh god. You're looking right at me. Crap, you're cute. Oof. Okay, it feels like the rope is tightening. I just have to get these words out. Okay, I'm taking the leap. I'm handing you my heart. I... Nope. Turns out, I got tricked. I got tricked into going to the prom so someone could dump a bucket of pig's blood on me. I got coaxed into a horribly vulnerable state and found myself completely alone. Oh no, it was definitely just you. And how could you have gotten it so wrong? What can I say? That's nice. I'm flattered. But no. Ghosted.
man, I had to make myself a pumpkin tea after that, so I'm going to be sipping on that as I talk to you. All right, what was really going on there? Was I really, for lack of a better word, tricked? Or was that just how it felt to me? Hmm, maybe a little bit of both. Do I feel like I was somewhat misled? Yeah, for sure. Do I think it was malicious? No. And let's not forget, Tommy Ross wasn't really in on it. He was caught up in something, but he didn't lure Carrie to the prom to humiliate her. But that doesn't really matter. We all have our stories and our wounds, and I'm willing to admit all my stuff is up. And maybe I'm being given the opportunity to shift my experience of what I perceive as a pattern. That pain and rejection feels real. And it's easy to lapse into my story of, see, this always happens to me. I'm never chosen. And when it seems like I am, the rug is always pulled out from under me. Maybe I should just give up. Or better yet, maybe I should just unleash my rage and disappointment and tear it all down. Sometimes that does sound appealing. It would be easy to roll your eyes or for me to roll my eyes at myself and say, calm down, you're overreacting. But let's go easy on Carrie. Or... <laughs> That raw, vulnerable, young place we're embarrassed of and might even hate, we'll call it Carrie. And usually we prefer to bury it under, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, I'm not hurt. Just listen to her and let her have whatever reaction she's going to have. She has her reasons. You don't need me to tell you this. This time of year can be difficult for people. I'm sitting here with my place fully decorated for Christmas, lights ablaze, and I did it for myself because I enjoy it and it makes me happy, but it's still a bit of a bummer that there's no one here to enjoy it with. I can't help but feel like someone or something is missing, and I think it's okay to own that without feeling the need to judge it. A lot of us tend to get reflective this time of year and kind of take score, so if you're in that place, me too. But whatever story you're telling yourself, well, it's not necessarily true. And even if it is, it won't be forever. It would be really easy for me to go from Carrie to Miss Havisham, but I actually don't want to do that. I still have a vision for my life that includes a lot of things I want to experience, and a partner is just one of those things. And hey, at least I know that I'm willing to do something about it. Sometimes you have to be the one who's brave enough to ask someone to dance, right? And if they say no, well, now you know, and you can start looking for your yes. gotta be honest with you. I was tempted to jealously guard and hoard all of my Christmas gifts this year, but in the true spirit of the holiday, I'm going to be a little generous and share with you. Now, don't get any ideas. Those cookies are mine, lady. Hands off. But this one right here, I'm sharing with you because it's just too good.
like this if it's the last thing we ever do It never looked as lost as this Sometimes it doesn't even look like you It goes dark, it goes darker still Please stay But I watch you like I'm made of stone as you walk away I'm coming to find you if it takes me all night A witch hunt for another girl For always and ever is always for you You're just the most gorgeously stupid thing I ever caught in the world Say hello on a day like today See it every time you move The way that you look at me now Makes me wish I was you It goes deep, it goes deeper still This touch And the smile And the shake of your head And the smile and the shake of your head now I'm coming to find you if it takes me all night And stand here like this anymore For always and ever is always for you I wanted to be perfect like before Oh, oh, oh I want to change it all Oh, oh, oh I want to change takes me all night can stand here like this anymore for always and ever is always for me I wanted to be perfect like before oh, oh, oh I want to change it all oh, oh I want to change now, now. oh, oh change it all oh, 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 to change Epilogue Sheila take a bow as the hour grows late and the fire grows dim, we have time for one last tale of awkward holiday shame. Until recently, I lived next to this really great independent grocery store. Everybody who worked there was really lovely and personable, but one checker in particular just won my heart. Her name was Sheila and she just exuded joy. Whenever I go, well, any place, I usually just want to keep my head down, my earbuds in, and avoid having to talk to anyone. But Sheila was not going to let me get away with it. She always had a big smile for me. She always asked about me. And once in a while, if there was a good song playing in the store when I was checking out, we'd have an impromptu 30-second dance party. And it wasn't just me. 
I'd see other interactions she had, and she seemed to have the same effect on a lot of people. I could see that she just had kind of the natural ability to lift people up. Talking to her, even for a few seconds, while I ran in for something I'd forgotten I needed for dinner or whatever, always made my day better. So a few years ago, I'd made an effort to make some healthy changes and lost a bunch of weight. Could I be more Liz Lemon? And around Christmas, I ran into the store, and there was Sheila, just beaming. And she took a second and said, I just want you to know you look amazing. You really, uh, you just really reinvented yourself. And this outfit you're wearing, I'm not even kidding. You need to take a selfie before you go to bed. It was hilarious, but so genuine. I felt like this woman I didn't even really know went out of her way to acknowledge me in a way that almost nobody else had. She bestowed her Sheila magic upon me. And I walked out of that store like, look out world, life, you are my bitch. Now, through my conversations with her, it was clear to me that Sheila didn't have a very easy life. Nevertheless, she always seemed to be genuinely happy and happy for other people. So, <laughs> swept up in the holiday spirit, I just wanted to do something to let her know how much I appreciated her. So I wrapped up a little something and went to run it in a few days before Christmas. My plan was to just give it to her when I was buying whatever. No big deal. Thanks and leave. But of course she was on a break, not at a register. So I had to ask for her. So out she comes and I could tell she was eyeballing this gift I was carrying like, what is happening? She probably thought I was going to ask her out. And we all know that is not something I have good luck with. So I launch into this, I don't know, monologue. I'm an award-winning actor after all. And I think I managed to give her a more or less cohesive version of what I just said to you. Just wanting to make sure she knew that she was a bright spot in my life. And as I was talking, uh-oh, what is happening? I was like, I think, I think I'm going to start crying. What the fuck? No, this poor woman is not going to know what the hell to make of this. So I practically threw the present at her and ran out of the store. Okay, Merry Christmas. Gotta go. Oh, man. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm still glad I did it. I'm still glad I told What's-His-Face that I liked him, because I did. So this isn't a cautionary tale. If you want to give in to the cloyingly sweet spirit of Christmas, do it. If you love someone, or they've made your life better somehow, or you just want to say, hey, I see you, do it. Sometimes we all need to hear it, right? And whatever you do, you better tell me about it, because I don't want to be the only one crying under the mistletoe to a stranger in a grocery store. Happy holidays! It's been a minute, so now I think it's time to Ask the Horacle. We need theme music for the Ask the Horacle segment. I haven't found the right thing yet, but I'm going to work on that for season two. So, as I do, I'm going to draw a card from the deck of horror-inspired divination cards I've made, and it's online and shuffles at random, so I couldn't rig it 
even if I wanted to. And no joke, the card we've pulled is One Last Scare. Could not be more appropriate since that final shot of Carrie's hand shooting out of the rubble and grabbing Amy Irving pretty much gave birth to the horror movie convention of One Final Jump Scare. And the card reads, a situation which you believe to have been resolved is about to rear its ugly head. Brace yourself. You're in for one last scare. Now, the Horacle has a sense of humor. I actually think this is a super positive reading. Don't count Carrie or yourself out. When something appears to be over, well, not so fast. There's always another chance. And if life doesn't sometimes scare the shit out of you, well, you're not doing it right. All right, all you carries out there, I see you. If you're showing up in life, you might get stared at. Your pants might fall off. You might feel like someone dumped a bucket of pig's blood on you. And maybe they did. But you know what? Those stains aren't permanent. And as much as it can hurt, didn't all have to go down in flames for Carrie. And I think that's what she wants us to know. So let's tell our stories and feel our feelings. They're totally valid, but they don't define us. We're going to take our lives seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. And if someone asks you to the prom, even if you've been burned before, just say yes, because you never know. Either way, you're going to end up with a good story, and I want to hear it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye. This show is an Unreliable Narrator production. For more information, visit unreliablenarrator.org. I liked it. I liked it.